We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Great. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Um, I think by my watch, uh, the Women's England team are probably just about kicked off <laughs> roundabout by now, so I feel like if there's a joyful shout from the congregation, I'm not sure if England have scored or if you're just, you know, the Holy Spirit's moving or something, but um, I'll take it as an encouragement either way. Um, but we're going to be reading this morning from a passage uh, in Luke, so if you've got your Bibles or your phones, jump to Luke 17, uh, verse 11, and we're going to be reading to verse 19. Um, great, so I'll kick us off. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So um, as I was considering sort of what to talk about this morning and share, I kind of felt led to this passage I've been looking at it, I've been thinking about it and pondering it, um, recognizing that everything that we have in in the Gospels, everything that we have, all the stories of Jesus' life, are handed down to us for a reason. The Holy Spirit has chosen those to speak to us in some way. And just considering what what is God saying to us through through this passage. So just to recap, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, um, and he meets these 10 men who have a disease uh, called leprosy. Now, leprosy is a term that's used quite often in the Bible, um, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's probably um, referring to a range of different kinds of skin diseases, which they didn't know how to treat um, in, in Bible times, a range of untreatable conditions. And actually, um, in this passage, we see the men are, are grouped together. They're kind of living together in a colony, because in those days, uh, people with leprosy had to kind of be separate. It was the custom for them to be separate um, from everybody else. And in fact, there's something in in the Old Testament law that that says this. It says, people with leprosy will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. So these men are are living together in isolation and and they have this disease. They're, They're cut off from the rest of society. And we also see that they're standing at a distance. So it says these men are standing at a distance. And and again, this is part of the custom at the time. Um, It was actually um, advised or or, uh, socially accepted that people with leprosy stood at 100 paces from anyone else. They didn't come between between that distance of 100 uh, 100 paces and other people. So they're very much cut off. But they, they see Jesus, and they cry out to him, Master, have mercy on us. And what does Jesus say? He says, go and show yourselves 
to the priests. Which might seem like a bit of a bit of a strange thing. They're asking Jesus for healing, and he says, "Go and show yourself to the priest." Again, there's actually a uh, an Old Testament law again in, in Leviticus um, that says that whenever someone is healed of leprosy, the way that they showed that, or the way that that became validated and recognised, was they they showed themselves to the priest, and the priest was the person who had the authority to say, "Yep, you're you're healed of leprosy. You can now reintegrate into society." So Jesus actually. Uh, sending them to go and examine um, themselves, be examined, and, and uh, be reintegrated into society. What's interesting is he, he tells them to do this before anything's actually happened. They're not healed at this point. He says, go and show yourself to the priests, and, and they go on their way. And that's the point um, that they are healed. So this is a story of the power of God. It's a story of, of healing, um, of the power of Jesus to heal to bring restoration. It's also a story of, of Jesus' compassion towards perhaps some of the people that were the most cut off from society in that time, the most isolated, the most looked down upon, um, perhaps the people with, with least amount of hope in society at that time, people that no one else had time for, and yet Jesus had, had time for them. And there are lots of interesting things about this passage that we could talk about um, I've mentioned the fact that Jesus gives this command and it's almost this step of faith they have to take. I find that really, really interesting. Um, again, you know, God's enduring compassion for the people that, that are overlooked in society. The fact that the guy that, that is eventually singled out uh, by Jesus who comes back to give thanks to him is a Samaritan. Um, again, showing Jesus' compassion towards a group of people, the Samaritans, who again were seen as unclean and, and uh, rejected by society. But what I feel I want to focus on this morning, and that I feel God's been kind of speaking to me about, is, is this theme of thankfulness. It's what the man does that returns to Jesus. And, and that question of what does it mean for us to, to be thankful, to give thanks to God in the midst of our, our situations and circumstances. Um, again, we're, we're in a period of praying for people who are not well among us. What does it mean to do that in a spirit of thankfulness? These are all difficult questions, but questions that I feel it's worth grappling with, and I believe there's a power that God has for us in this. So nine of the lepers go on their way, they go to the priests, but one turns back, and he comes to Jesus, and he shouts with a loud voice, praise God! He falls to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he's done. And Jesus says, he commends him, he says, where are the other nine? Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So there's three things I want to talk about this morning about thankfulness. Three points that I kind of want to focus on. Um, number one, thankfulness requires intentionality. Number two, thankfulness draws us deeper into relationship with God. And number three, thankfulness changes us. So thankfulness requires intentionality. There's something very deliberate about what this man does in, in this story. Um, all 10 are given this command by Jesus, go show yourselves to the priests, and, and they go and do it. In a way, they're kind of just obeying what Jesus said. They're only doing what he's told them to do. They're actually fulfilling the law. So you know, it's quite understandable what they're doing. But something stirs up in this guy to stop, to let his friends go on ahead and to turn back. Now, this is actually quite radical. This is a group of people that he's been living with. We don't know how long. 
We don't know how long he's had this disease. Um, but he could have been, been living with them for a number of years. There, there would have been a sense of community, a sense of belonging. Everybody else rejected these people, but they had each other, and they were, were together in what they were going through. But he turns back to Jesus and lets the nine go on ahead. Um, there's something in him. There's a conviction. There's a deliberateness. This isn't accidental. This isn't an afterthought. Um, something that he just remembers to do once he's gone back to normal life and he's got a job and everything's going well. This is something that he has to do right in that moment. And I feel like often when we give thanks, often that practice of thankfulness, as we do it, as we engage in it, often requires a similar level of, of deliberateness. Maybe a turning around in the midst of our circumstances, maybe doing something that perhaps seems difficult, that's going against the grain a little bit when it's very easy to uh, complain, perhaps, or, or go with the flow, um, and a turning to Jesus in the midst of that. Um, I've talked about my story quite a lot uh, in, in these settings, and I talked about how I had uh, a lot of anxiety when I was growing up. I had an um, anxiety disorder called OCD, and, and this very much colored my early years growing up. Um, but I, I always remember when I was a teenager, when I was in the youth, Jamie always said to me that he believed that thankfulness was going to be key uh, to my healing and to that, that journey of, of restoration of what God was doing in my life. And when I look back at my life, when I look back at what, what God did, I can really see that thankfulness was, was so key. And actually, there were many moments when I was encouraged to give thanks and I didn't want to give thanks. I couldn't see anything to be thankful for but it was a process of deliberately asking God and, and, and deliberately asking him for that, that power and that ability to do it. At periods of my life, I've kept a kind of thankfulness journal and, and went through a process of kind of each day asking God deliberately, what do I have to be thankful for? And sometimes it was just a couple of things, but there was a power um, in doing that. Paul talks a lot about thankfulness in his, in his letters in the New Testament. Um, there are so many passages where he mentions thankfulness, whether it's uh, this one in Colossians, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Um, Colossians 3, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts and always be thankful. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a sense of everything being included in this. There's a sense of doing it always, this sense of continuation and deliberateness. Again, this isn't just an occasional thing that we remember to do once in a while when everything's lining up okay. This, this is something we do always and in everything. And there are so many more examples I could have given uh, in this. There's been a lot of studies into thankfulness. Um, and it is actually really interesting when you look at the kind of uh, neuro kind of science around it. Um, expressing and receiving gratitude causes our brains to release chemicals called dopamine and serotonin, which are kind of the feel-good chemicals for our brain. And studies have shown that deliberately practicing thankfulness uh, increases those kind of neural pathways and makes it easier to give thanks, that those chemicals can be released more often. Um, there's also a study which shows that it's actually impossible to be anxious and give thanks at the same time. The human brain cannot respond to anxiety and gratitude at the same time. Now, we can look at this and think, well, that's just science. Or we could say, how amazing 
has God designed the human body? And is there something of his design and his purpose in this? And when I think about my story and, and my anxiety and how God healed me from that, I can't help but think, yeah, like there, there was something in that process. I don't know if Jamie knew this when he, he said that to me. I think he, he maybe had heard from God in that situation. But there's something incredible about the way that God has designed us. But also as we step into and live in this deliberate uh, process of, of giving thanks, it does become easier. It becomes something that overflows. And that's something that I've, I've encountered in my own life as well. Been looking through the Bible at, at different people that you see giving thanks. And every so often you bump into people in, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, where thankfulness is just overflowing. It's just, they can't stop it. Something happens and it just bubbles up. Um, there's a wonderful story in the Old Testament where Abraham sends his servant um, who's just this kind of minor character, we don't even know his name, to find a wife for, uh, for Isaac, his son, in the land where he was from. And so this servant goes on this journey and on this mission, and he finds Rebecca, who eventually became Isaac's wife. But when he finds Rebecca, it's, it's really incredible. The servant bows his head. The first thing he does is gives thanks to God for leading him to her. This sense of faithfulness, this sense of overflowing thankfulness. And that, that story just always stuck in my head. Um, you see Mary, Jesus' mother, um, that when she meets Elizabeth, she just gives this prayer of, of thankfulness. With all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Saviour. She just cannot keep it in. And we also see Simeon who's a guy that when uh, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple, he sees Jesus, he sees the future saviour, and he gives thanks to God, and he says, thank you, Lord, I can now die in peace that I've seen the salvation of Israel. Um, Jesus himself bursts out in, in, in thankfulness at multiple times. He says, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and, for, uh, and revealing them to the childlike. And I would include this man with leprosy in, in this group of people that, that have this sense of overflowing thankfulness. And I can't help but wonder, was thankfulness something that this man had maybe cultivated in that place of, of being isolated, of being cut off? We, we don't know. But I do know from my own life, and I know from, from Scripture, that as we cultivate thankfulness, as we do it, um, it's something that, that God empowers and, and that becomes easier and, and overflowing. Number two, thankfulness draws us deeper into relationship with God. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. We weren't created by God to be self-sufficient. We weren't created to be able to do everything in our lives and, and, and be successful and get through life on our own without the help of, of others. We were created to need other people. We were created to be joyfully and humbly dependent on, on God. And again, even when you look at kind of secular studies on thankfulness, people recognize the power of thankfulness in pointing beyond ourselves and recognizing our, our, our need for others. There's a guy called Robert Emmons who's professor of psychology at the University of California. He, he defines gratitude as having two parts. He says, the first is an affirmation of goodness. People can learn to wake up to the good around them and notice the gifts they have received. The second part of gratitude, he says, is recognizing that the source of this goodness rests outside of ourselves, 
that we receive these gifts from other people and sometimes from a higher power. In other words, gratitude helps people realize that they wouldn't be where they are without the help of others. The posture of thankfulness, of, of coming to God, or even in the natural, coming to other people and saying, thank you. Thank you for what you've given to me. Thank you for what you've done to me. It reorients our life around that reality that we are dependent on God and we're dependent on others, that we are not an island, that we are not able to do things on our own. It's almost the glue of, of relationship. I think of it as, as kind of the thing that, that strengthens relationship. If relationships are real and healthy, um, they involve serving, they involve giving, uh, laying down our lives for one another. If not, it's just an acquaintance. It's just someone you, you bump into or, or work with. But if relationships are real, there's a giving and, and a taking as part of it. There's something at stake. And gratitude is part of recognizing that dynamic of relationship and going deeper. We are created to live in constant connection with God. Um, and the enemy doesn't like that. And actually, uh, the enemy tries to, to cut us off from other people. He loves isolation. He loves independence and that sense of self-sufficiency. And actually, you can see in the culture, there's sometimes a, a kind of spirit of, you know, you've got this. Uh, believe in yourself. Um, it's such a powerful thing when you finally realize you don't need anyone else but yourself to survive. This is not true. This is not how God created us to be. But thankfulness works against this strategy. It says, I am joyfully uh, connected and dependent on God. What I have, God, I have because you gave it to me, and I'm better because of this. It's possible to get the benefits of a gift from God, whether that's a healing or provision or anything like that, without giving thanks, but we're missing that, that sense of relationship, that invitation in relationship. And the man in this story, when he sees that he was healed, it says he came back to Jesus. He turns around, he recognizes the healer, and he walks towards him. Again, I find this a very powerful image. Remember, the, these men stood at a distance. They had that 100 paces away from them. They'd not for years and years gone nearer to anyone than that 100 paces. And he's walking off towards the priests. And suddenly, he realizes he's healed. I don't know how that realization happened, if it was something visually he saw, if it's something he felt, but he knew that he no longer had that disease. And immediately he turns around and he sees Jesus and he begins walking back to him. And as he walks, he crosses beyond that 100 paces and walks all the way up to him. What a powerful moment that someone who had spent his life distant from other people, spent his life distant from God, can embrace that healing, can walk into that healing and come right up to Jesus and fall at his feet and have that relationship restored. This man has been given healing and that's amazing. His life has changed because of this and that's worth celebrating. But more than that, he's been offered connection. He's been offered relationship with the healer, the Lord of all creation. He's been given that gift of being able to draw near I feel like sometimes there can be things that keep us at that distance from, from Jesus, that, that 100 paces. Maybe we've received things from him. Maybe we have a relationship with him. We're, we're praying with him, but we're still at that distance from him. And there's that decision to, to walk close to him, to fall at his feet, to come near to him in relationship. And I think thankfulness can be a part of that. Thankfulness draws us 
to him. And thankfulness is the thing that can help keep us there at his feet. And I feel there's a broader truth truth to this. Whenever you read the Gospels, whenever you read Scripture, Jesus does a lot of amazing things. He does a lot of miracles. But with every miracle that he does, there's an invitation to something greater. Last time I spoke, I talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and how he did this incredible miracle and provided food for 5,000 people that were hungry and had nothing. But then 15 minutes later, the same group of people go to Jesus and say, show us a miracle. And you're left thinking, "But, but didn't he just provide all that food for you? We can receive the benefits of of Jesus. We can receive his provision. But if we don't let that draw us into connection with him, then five minutes later, we'll just have another need. We'll have another challenge in our life. And we'll still be asking the same questions. And he's faithful. He meets us in that. But there's a a relationship that he's offering offering us. And so as this man... um, is, is lying at Jesus' feet in gratitude. Something, I believe, something is shifting in his spiritual life that is greater than just the physical healing. He's found connection with the one who loves him. And that leads us to the final point, which is thankfulness changes us. So what does Jesus say when the man comes? He says, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, it's a really interesting passage. Um, There are two words that say heal in this passage. Didn't I heal 10 men? Then at the end, your faith has healed you. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not an expert in Greek. um, But lots of different commentators and theologians talk about this passage, and they point out that actually there's two completely different words that are used in this verse for heal. We know that the New Testament is written in Greek. It's not written in English. We have a translation. Um, and actually, this is a bit confusing because it's not capturing the real meaning of, of this, uh, this Greek. So the two words are katharizo, which is didn't I heal 10 men? Didn't I katharizo 10 men? And your faith has sozoed you. Um, again, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. Um, but the meaning of these words is, is really interesting. This first word for heal, katharizo, means healed. It means cleansed. Um, it's just a common word for being healed. The second word, your faith has healed you, has a far deeper meaning. It does mean healed, but it can also mean made whole. It can also mean saved. It can also mean rescued. Um, and that's fascinating. That's fascinating. It's actually the same word that we get saved from. And you could translate it as your faith has saved you. So something has happened for this man that has come to Jesus that's different to the other nine. The other nine have received a physical healing. That's fantastic. That's great. But something different has happened to this man. Matthew Henry, who's an old biblical scholar, he says, the others alone got the outward cure. He alone got the spiritual blessing. There's another commentator that says, this was something more than the first healing. A new power was his from that day forth. Closely united to his master, we may think of the poor unknown Samaritan forever among the friends of Jesus here and in the world to come. There are degrees in grace here. The nine had faith enough for healing. This one determined to learn more of his healer. It says in John 17, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't about living forever and sitting on clouds. Um, I mean, that, that sounds pretty rubbish, doesn't it, in, in my book? But it's about knowing God. It's about being in relationship with God, having that connection with him for eternity. There is nothing greater than that. And it begins here on earth. And it's begun, I believe, for this man in the story at this point. He's tasted true healing, true salvation. And it's interesting as well, the contrast between the the, the nine who go away and, and him that comes to Jesus. The the nine that go away are going to see the priests. They're engaging in a religious ceremony, if you like, doing what the law commanded. But again, we're not saved for religion. We're not saved for outward expressions and and works and going to church and doing all the right things. We're saved to know him. Charles Spurgeon says, all ten were willing to do a religious ceremony. Only one was filled with true praise and thanksgiving. External religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is. So what is salvation? What is eternal life? It's relationship. It's restored relationship with our Father, and and this is what I believe this man has tasted. So the good news is that this isn't about trying harder. This isn't about pulling our socks up and trying desperately to be thankful um, in the midst of our circumstances. I was really challenged by what Jenny shared earlier, that mustard seed of faith. Often it's just a small beginning. It's a small decision to say, God, I may not feel thankful, but help me. And I'm encouraged by this verse in Colossians. Again, another time that Paul talks about thankfulness. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Prince talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, living in the light and, and being in the light. What an amazing truth we have. And I love the fact that this joy that's talked about at the start of this verse, this thankfulness, is rooted in the reality of what Jesus has done. He has taken our sins. He's forgiven us on the cross. And there's a power contained in that truth. That Even if we're not feeling thankful, we can say, Jesus, root me in that reality. Root me in in that truth and help me to access the power of thankfulness. So thinking about a response, just a couple of thoughts here in, in terms of different situations we might be in. Some of us might feel like we're, we're ready to take a practical step towards thankfulness. Maybe, you know, that, that step towards Jesus like, like the man took in the story. Um, and that's what you want to do. You want to make that commitment um, today. Maybe you're asking God, help me cultivate a thankful heart in the midst of uncertainty or anxiety Or maybe you're you're saying, Lord, I want to respond to what you've done to me on the cross, to be rooted in this reality above all others, and receive the power to live differently that comes comes through that. So that's all I have um, for today. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. 
We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.